Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is no doubt one of the greatest used men in the New Testament. But as you study the life of Paul, that you will find that Paul did not do it alone. He had men and even women that were used in his life to assist him, to encourage him, to be a part of his ministry along the way. Aquila was a converted Jew and the husband of Priscilla who worked with Paul as a tent maker, really as a layman of sorts who came alongside Paul. But even as, even as a layman was used in the ministry of Paul, I think of the account of uh, when Aquila was used in the life of Apollos to help Apollos really come along in, in, his, in his walk with the Lord and his understanding of the baptism of Christ and not just the baptism of John the Baptist. I think of Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica who accompanied Paul on several journeys. He was once called the fellow prisoner of Paul. So here was a man not just entering into the ministry, but also entering into some of the sufferings of Paul and, and encouraging him in that respect. Then there was Barnabas, son of consolation or exhortation. Uh, you remember Barnabas really at the beginning of the ministry of Paul, uh, when Paul was, was newly converted, some of the disciples at Jerusalem were a little skeptical of Paul, and for good reason, because of his, um, uh, his dealings with the Christians before and what he would do to them and how he would perse persecute them. But Barnabas really came alongside and encouraged Paul by introducing him to the disciples at Jerusalem. Just a unique ministry that Barnabas had with Paul. Then there was Lydia, a woman, a seller, a seller of purple residing at Philippi. And on at least two occasions, she received Paul into her house, a ministry of hospitality and a ministry of encouragement to Paul. Then there was Demas, a fellow laborer at Rome who got caught up in this present world, as Paul called it, as he was writing to Timothy. And he actually forsook Paul and the calling. So here was a man who for a short time was a help, an assistant, to Paul, but then he loved the things of this world rather than the calling of God. And, and he went back and he forsook Paul. Then there was Timothy. Timothy was really a protege of Paul. He was faithful. He was steadfast. He was true. Paul even called him his own son in the faith. Uh, Timothy had the unique opportunity to witness some of the realities of ministry. It's not all just mountaintop experiences. But sometimes there are difficult days. Sometimes there are trials. Uh, sometimes there are stonings and scourgings and the various things that Timothy had the opportunity to witness. But that didn't deter him from the ministry. And rather, Timothy committed himself to follow in the footsteps of Paul and to propagate the truths of the gospel. But probably my favorite assistant, if I could use that term, of Paul was a man by the name of Luke. Luke, of course, wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. But only three times his name is mentioned in his writings. Often he would include himself by simply writing the word we. And you get a sense for Luke's humility, that he wasn't really interested in who got the credit. He wasn't really interested in whose name was mentioned from the pulpit or who's, who, who was up on the platform or, or who, who got recognized. Luke just wanted to be a help. Luke wanted to be an assistant. We believe that Luke accompanied Paul to Troas, then to Philippi, where apparently he remained for a time. Later, we find him again traveling with Paul to Jerusalem. Paul then became a prisoner, and we lose sight of, uh, of Luke. 
But as soon as Paul was sent to Rome, we find Luke once again accompanying Paul. He was there in Rome when Paul wrote the epistle to the Colossians and Philemon. And then he was also with Paul during his second imprisonment, really just days before his execution. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to find Luke right in this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're actually going to find several of Paul's assistants right in this passage. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, just two verses, verses 10 and 11, it says, For Demas hath forsaken me. The Bible isn't really specific as to why Demas forsook Paul or what uh, specific traps that, that, that Demas got caught up in. All it says is this explanation, that he loved this present world, something about the world, something, something, something attracted him, something became more attractive to Demas than Jesus. And anything that becomes more attractive than Jesus is an idol. And so Demas forsook not just the calling, but he forsook the Lord by going back and by, by, by allowing the things of this world to become his love. Said that he has departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Dalmatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Verse 11, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. And again, you, you sense the faithfulness, no doubt the encouragement that Paul received just by the presence of Luke, that Luke was there, that Luke was dependable, that Luke was reliable. Now at the end of his ministry or near the end of his ministry, Paul could depend on this man by the name of Luke. And then he says, take Mark. Well, you remember Mark. Uh, earlier in the life of Paul, Paul separated from Mark. But now, toward the end, we find Mark coming back into a role in the life of Paul, once again encouraging him, and now Mark has this testimony. Bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. I like studying some of these men, like Aristarchus and, and Timothy and, and Luke and even Mark, to see how they came alongside a man by the name of Paul and assisted him in the calling of God and the ministry that God gave to Paul. You see, God gave different strengths. He gave different personalities to all of these men and even these women. And they were used to assist Paul in the ministry. But one thing was consistent. They had a desire to further the work of God by assisting the man of God that was called to lead the effort to spreading the gospel in the known world at that time. These men and even these women were entering into the ministry of a man by the name of Paul. And I understand that for most, for most of the guys here today, this morning, you may, you may even sense a specific calling on your life. You may, you may feel that God is leading you to be a senior pastor and to, to be a lead pastor in, in leading a work of God in a city. You may feel that God wants you to go to a mission field and you have a specific calling or maybe even evangelism or Christian education or even music ministry. And you may sense that specific calling, but regardless of a specific calling, I believe that many will spend at least some years serving alongside a pastor. And, and even if you do have that specific calling, it would be wise for you to do that, to learn the ministry. You see, you learn a lot in Bible college, but you don't learn everything. 
And there's a lot you can learn from books, and there's a lot you can learn from your professors, and there's a lot you can learn from lectures, but there's something about just getting into the ministry and coming alongside of a seasoned pastor, and you begin to really learn the ins and outs of ministry. And so regardless of maybe a specific calling, I would encourage all of us this morning to just kind of listen in and, and, and sense what God may want to teach us in preparation for, for a, a calling or even a specific calling someday. And even again for the ladies, there may be some things today that you can learn with respect to assisting and encouraging and organization and doing things with excellence and aligning in, in uh, even your heart with a, with a pastor in a ministry someday. You see, being an assistant pastor should never really be seen as a second-rate position. Luke did not have less of a ministry than Paul. Luke had a specific calling on his life to assist Paul, and Paul had a specific calling on his life. So don't ever view a role other than the senior pastor or, or or the missionary leading the effort on the field. Don't ever view that as something second best or second rate. The other thing I would encourage you is don't view an assistant pastorate role as a stepping stone or just something to kind of get through because there's something more that you feel God wants you to do. And there may be something more you feel God wants you to do. But don't view that season or that time in your life as something less than a specific calling because God is using every season of your life to prepare you. He's using the season right now called Bible College. Uh, You will learn things today, you will learn things in this season of your life that God will use down the road in your ministry. And and if God leads you to to, to serve in an assisting capacity, God will use that even if it is in preparation for for something else. But don't overview that time of preparation as insignificant. God put Moses on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Uh, and, and that was a season of preparation. Don't, don't view that as insignificant in your life. I'll tell you just quickly a little bit about my story. Um, I graduated from West Coast 12 years ago, so it was about 13 years ago that Dr. R came to me. And he said, uh, he said John, he said, Pastor would like to keep you here. Uh, he's not really sure what you'll do yet, but he'd like to kind of keep you around. And, and uh, Pastor kind of has that, this way of bringing somebody on staff and just sort of giving them things to do here and there to sort of figure out what they're good at and what their skill sets are. And so that was kind of the conversation I have with Dr. R. And basically just come and we'll figure it out when you get here. And so I went home. I talked to my home pastor. I talked to my parents. And I felt like this was a good opportunity. So I decided to stay. So the first two years... I kind of split my responsibilities between the school, the Christian school, and the church. So here I am with a pastoral theology degree, and I am teaching seventh grade fractions and eighth grade pre-algebra. Talk about initiation into the ministry. Uh, I didn't even take math courses in Bible college, but that's what I was doing. It's actually, it's actually, um, it's pretty neat to look back now because several Several of those students that I had in seventh grade who were 12 years old, 13 years old, um, you know, just bouncing off the wall, figuring out life. That's a very unique stage of life, by the way, seventh grade. But several of those students are now serving in ministry. Several serve on staff here. Uh, I've got even uh, relationships with several of them still. And it's just kind of neat, even looking back, how God used that in my life. Uh, to begin to prepare me. But that's kind of what I began doing. So that was the first half of the day. 
from 7.30 until about noon, and then I'd take lunch. And then the second half of the day, I served in Pastor Chapel's office as the assistant to the pastor. Now, don't confuse that with an assistant pastor, because it was very different. I was not an assistant pastor. I was the assistant. I was actually the assistant to the assistant to the pastor, to give you an idea. But some of the things that I had the privilege of doing, uh, I was able to take pastor's dry cleaning to the dry cleaners. I was able to gas up his car and get it washed. Uh, I was able to clean his back patio on Sunday afternoons as he was preparing to have people over for meals. Uh, I even helped with his Christmas decorations at his house. I would go over there and pull them all down. Mrs. Chapel loves to decorate for Christmas. And uh, she goes all out. And so they have boxes and boxes and boxes. So I had the, uh, the privilege and the opportunity and the unique job description of going up into the attic sometime right after Thanksgiving and pulling down all those boxes. I remember one year, uh, Danielle was getting married. And uh, Mrs. Chapel was very hands-on and she loved to decorate her house. But that particular year, she got, Danielle got married in December. And so that particular year, there was just a lot going on. And so I literally, with the help of Brother and Mrs. Hauk, the three of us decorated his house for Christmas. And uh, I mean, I hung the ornaments and Mrs. Hauk was walking around, you know, putting up decorations and all that. And I remember we used to have, back in those days, we would have the staff Christmas day at Pastor's house. And, and so I remember that, that year, um, as we were standing around and enjoying hot chocolate and talking to staff members, I overheard some single staff ladies talking about just the magnificent job that Mrs. Chapel did decorating her house that year. And I thought, wow, she, she did a great job. Praise the Lord. I didn't, they didn't teach me that in Bible college. I can tell you that for sure. But that's kind of what the first two years of my ministry you know, life looked like. I would teach junior hires in the morning, and then I would, I, would, I would get a quick bite to eat, and then I would go to pastor's office, and I would look at my list of random things to go and do that day, just kind of assisting pastor and whatever needed to be done. That, that happened for about two years. And then, uh, then pastor came to me kind of in a hurry. He was going from one thing to the next. He was, he, was, he was kind of, I think he was probably coming down to preach chapel, or he was running from one meeting to the next. He pulled me into a side office, and he said, John, he said, this isn't really my timing, but I think this is God's timing. And I thought, okay, is that good or bad? I couldn't quite figure that one out. But he said, I want to start having you work in the music ministry. And there were some transitions going on at that time. We had three different people involved in the music ministry, and, and there were some transitions with all three of those people. One was going to become uh, a, a missionary on the field, a uh, missionary wife on the field. One was going to be moving over into the school. So there were just some transitions going on. He said, I'd like to put you right in the middle of that and have you start doing music schedule. So figure it out. Okay. <laughs> so that, that began a transition in my life where I started to move over to the music ministry. And just gradually over time, started doing music schedule, working with groups and ensembles. Then I started leading the orchestra some. Then I started working in uh, choir rehearsals, leading the choir for some rehearsals. Then I started leading Sunday night services. Then I started leading the choir for all the services. Then eventually I started leading the congregational singing. And then from there, pastor started feeding me some other things that weren't even related to music uh, with respect to Wednesday nights and with respect to stewardship campaigns and leadership conferences and striving together publications. And so different things began to come as, as I began to, to understand and figure out that role of the assistant pastor. And I can honestly say that it's been a tremendous journey for the past 10 years. I have... I have enjoyed what God has taught me. 
I've enjoyed the privilege and the opportunity to come alongside of, of Pastor Chapel and to assist him in what God has called him to do here. And it really becomes a stewardship of a stewardship. God has called him to steward the Lancaster Baptist Church. And now I have the opportunity to enter into that stewardship by assisting him in that role. So today what I'd like to talk about are three skill sets of an effective assistant pastor. Three skill sets of an effective assistant pastor. And again, ladies, I hope that you'll learn something from this as well. There's certainly application for you. Number one, the first skill set for an effective assistant pastor is the ability to align. The ability to align. Alignment is the arrangement in a straight line or in correct or appropriate relative positions. A position of agreement or alliance. Alignment. It is essential as an assistant to a pastor as you are assisting in a ministry that you are in alignment with his philosophy and his goals and his vision. Alignment does not necessarily mean that you're just a yes man and you just kind of get in line and say yes to everything he says. But as you have a good relationship with your pastor, you can begin to work together on that team. You certainly want to get his philosophy, his heart, but you also want to be a contributor to that team. And alignment is what helps with that. You, you've all probably driven a, a vehicle that has been out of alignment. You know, what happens when you take your hands off the wheel, the car begins to drift to one side. Um, if you're going to drive that car in a straight line, you're not going to hold the steering wheel straight. You're going to have to turn it to the side. Because anytime a, a, a vehicle gets out of alignment, it causes resistance to forward momentum. And so being out of alignment in a ministry, if there is a staff member who is not in alignment, then that ministry, in order for that ministry to go straight, the steering wheel has to be turned to the side a little bit. And there's actually, there's actually resistance and the ministry is being pulled to one side because someone is not in alignment with, with the core values or with the, with the heart and the philosophy of that senior pastor. And so the ability to align, to come into alignment with, with the ministry philosophy of the senior pastor is essential as you, as you think about serving on staff and assisting a senior pastor. Your job as an assistant pastor, regardless of your job description, is to be in alignment with the senior pastor. One of my main areas of oversight is the music ministry. But I am not serving on an island all by myself, doing whatever I want to do with respect to the music ministry. I have had to learn through the years how to come in alignment with Pastor Chapel's philosophy of music. I really came into that role with no real philosophy of my own. It, it wasn't really even something that I was planning to do. But an opportunity came, and one opportunity led to another, and then I found myself serving in music ministry. So I had to learn how to align myself with his philosophy for music ministry. And it, it, you, may, you may end up uh, leading adult ministries or children's ministry, or you may be asked to oversee a soul-winning department, or you may be teaching in a Christian school. Whatever area it might be, you want to come into alignment with the heart and the philosophy of the senior pastor. Now, the tendency of alignment is that it deteriorates. That's, that's the natural tendency of alignment. Every, every, usually about once a year, you need to take your car in for alignment. 
because steering component, components and, and, and uh, suspension comp components start to wear out and you hit potholes and you hit curbs and you, know, you drive through big puddles because it looks like fun but you don't realize it's actually ruining your alignment. So you have to take your car in and you have to realign. You've got to, you've got to get all the components back in the, right, in, the, in the right position so that the car goes in a straight line when you take your hands off the steering wheel. Not that you should be doing that very often, but you do want the car to be going in a straight line, otherwise your tires wear out and other things start to wear out if alignment is not proper. And so you may have, as you get to a church, you may have a pastor who's really good at alignment. He might have staff meetings. Uh, he might even have staff retreats or staff advances. That's all for alignment. He might have a policy manual. We've got a policy manual here at Lancaster Baptist Church. Uh, and, and usually about once a year, we're encouraged to kind of review it and to go through it. What is the purpose of staff meetings? What is the purpose of a policy manual? It's alignment. There is a philosophy. There is a way of doing ministry that, that is appropriate for the Lancaster Baptist Church. It's been proven. It's been something that Pastor Chapel has established over the years. And so as, as a staff member, I want to understand that philosophy so that I can be in alignment with him. But how do you come into alignment? Maybe, maybe you're going to serve on a ministry somewhere and the pastor may not have as many staff meetings as you'd like. Or maybe there, maybe there aren't uh, policy manuals and so forth. Well, there's two things specifically that you can do to get into alignment. Number one is ask a lot of questions. Ask a lot of questions. Have a good working relationship with your pastor. How would the pastor want this done? How would the pastor want this counseling meeting led? How, how would pastor want this, uh, this, this worker's training time led? How would he want this done? Ask him questions. Ask him how he'd want it done. Ask him what his preferences are. Uh, ask him how he would conduct that meeting or ask him how he would deal with that young couple who's having marriage issues because you, you're going to have the opportunity to counsel them, but you want to understand how he would counsel them first before you counsel them. All of that is alignment. All of that is understanding his philosophy of, of doing ministry. So you can ask a lot of questions. The second thing you can do is you can, you can observe. Watch your pastor. Watch how he conducts the service. Uh, watch how he uh, gives announcements. Uh, watch how he interacts with church members. Watch how he deals with situations in the lobby after the service. Be, be a good student of your pastor. And, and that will help you to come in alignment with, the, with his philosophy and the philosophy of that church. You see, being in alignment means that you are championing a vision that is not your own. And that can be difficult. It's not your vision. It's your pastor's vision. And so you're coming alongside. You want to be in alignment. You don't want there to be drift in that ministry. So you want to champion his vision. It's a lot easier to champion your own vision, right? You've got ideas. You've got thoughts. You've got dreams. You've got visions. That's, that's easy to champion. But what about championing a vision that's not your own? Well, you want to make that vision your priority. Pastor's got a vision for an outreach program, and he wants you to lead that outreach program. He wants you to develop that program, okay? It's his vision. I'm going to champion it. I'm going to get behind it. I'm going to make it mine. I'm going to take ownership of it. I'm going to ask that question. How would pastor want this done? How would pastor want this kickoff meeting uh, done? How would he want the lobby organized with maps and tracks and, and visits? How would he want it done? Um, I'm going to represent that vision well before the church family. As I stand up to announce something in respect to pastor's vision, the church family should sense that it's really my vision, that I've taken ownership of it. It's not just pastor's vision, but now I've bought into that vision. And then I want to also add value to that vision. 
pastor may say, hey, I want you to start a soul winning program. And he might just leave it at that. Well, what, what, what should I do? I should go study soul winning programs. I should look up notes from, from my uh, personal evangelism class when I was in Bible college and, and, and start to look through those notes. And what does it look like? How do you organize it? When do you have your meetings? Uh, how should visits be done? And so forth. And begin to add to his vision. Because an amazing thing happens when you begin to increase value to someone else's vision. That vision becomes your own. You see, I now have my own vision for the music ministry of Lancaster Baptist Church. And I can honestly say that that vision is in alignment with pastor's vision. But it's not just pastor's vision now. Because I've been doing it for 10 years. And I've, I've, been, I've been striving to add value to his vision. I've been doing my best to, to, uh, to lead according to his vision. But now it's really become my vision. I don't need pastor to come and to meet with me every Monday morning like he used to <laughs> when I first started doing the music. I'll give you a quick story before I, just to kind of give you an idea. But the first 16 to 18 months of, of my involvement in the music ministry included a Monday morning meeting with Pastor Chapel, And it was a very personal meeting because it was just him and me. And it was in his office and it consisted of, you know, one or two things that went okay. And then about 10 or 12 things that didn't go so well. And everything that he would have done differently. Uh, and I appreciated that. Because you know what that was, is that was alignment. He wasn't just trying to be hard on me. He was trying to get me into alignment. I had no idea what I was doing. And so he would bring me in and he would even show me. He would conduct for me. I had a personal conducting lesson with Pastor Chapel. I just wish I had videoed it. And he would show me how he wanted me to conduct victory in Jesus. And he would include the singing portion of it as well. He would sing himself and he would lead for me in his office. He said, this is how I want you to do it. And I want you to step up to the pulpit like this. And I want you to sing out like this. And I want you to wave your arms like this. It was great. <laughs> but he was bringing me into alignment with his vision. And it, shouldn't, it should not have been my heart and it shouldn't be your heart that, you know, what is he doing? I'm the one with the Bible college degree and I'm the one who just graduated uh, last year and I should be telling him how to do it. That shouldn't be our heart. My heart should be, how does he want it done? Whether it's music or education or, or adult ministries or children's ministry, how does he want it done? And let me come into alignment with that philosophy. I don't know what I was talking about, but that story came to my mind and I wanted to share that with you because it was a blessing. I was, I was learning how to champion a vision that was not my own. And that became my vision. That's what I was saying. So the first skill set for an assistant pastor or really a valuable staff member is the ability to align. Number two, the second skill set for an assistant pastor would be having a standard of excellence. A standard of excellence. Philippians 1.10, Paul says that ye may approve things that are excellent. That word approve means to test. That ye may approve things that are excellent. One of the greatest keys to excellence is discernment. Discernment. Knowing the difference between good and best. That requires discernment. When you come into the office on a Monday morning and you, you've got things to do and you've got your list of things to do, you want to approve things that are excellent. You want to discern the best use of your time, the most efficient use of your time. Discernment. Approving things that are excellent. 
Now, there's no masking that achieving excellence in any area is just going to take plain old hard work. A tenacity, a, a, a willingness to work hard, a willingness to strive for excellence. Excellence doesn't just happen. You've got, to, you've got to work for it. You've got to strive for it. You've got to uh, be disciplined. You've got to be organized. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, but it's going to take some hard work. A couple of thoughts with respect to excellence. If you're, going to have, if you're going to serve with excellence and strive for excellence, when you're given a task or a project, do something with it right away. When your pastor comes in and says, hey, I want you to make this visit, you need to do something with that information right away. You might even say, okay, I'm going to go make it right, right now. I remember Brother Weaver would tell us in Bible college that, that a request from the pastor is a royal command. When pastor says, hey, I need your help with this, that goes to the top of your to-do list. But not just when the pastor requests something for you. It might be a, 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 um, someone else in the office. It might even be a church member, somebody who, who needs help with something or is requesting information. If you have a standard of excellence, it really doesn't matter where that information comes from. You want to do it with the, with, to the best of your ability. You want to strive for excellence. But when you're given a task, do something with it right away. One of the practices that I've tried to develop is that when I'm, when I'm asked to do something or when somebody comes to me with a question, I write it down. I write it down. I'm just not smart enough to remember everything. So I write it down. Uh, write it down right away. If it's, if it's small enough that you can complete it within 60 seconds, then do it right then. Somebody says, hey, I need this information. And you can just go right on your laptop and send it to them and shoot a quick email. 60 seconds and you're done, do it right away. If it's something that's going to be more of a project, hey, I'd like for you to organize this or I'd like for you to facilitate this, then write down the project and schedule a time and plan a time when you can brainstorm that and begin working through the tasks that will be required to complete that project. Know the difference between a task and a project. They are different. A task is a singular item that can be accomplished quickly. It's operational or it's routine. A project, on the other hand, is a larger undertaking that consists, consists of multiple tasks. It requires planning. It requires time activation of the smaller tasks required to complete the larger project. Give you, give you an example. We fill out purchase orders here. That's part of our policies. Writing a purchase order would be the same as a task, would be considered a task. It's simple. You can do it in just a couple of seconds. You fill out a purchase order, you submit it, you're done. A budget, on the other hand, would be a project. That requires more time. That requires a lot of times multiple people speaking into that budget. That requires looking at expenditures from the previous year. There are several tasks required to complete that project. Take, for instance, maybe something that you would have in, 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 uh, in the course of a college semester. Maybe you've got to read a book for one of your classes. Um, Dr. Getch has you reading a book, and it's, um, uh, it, it's, it, there are 10 chapters in that book. Well, reading the book, for most of us anyway, unless, unless we're Dr. R, <laughs> reading the book is a project, not a task. I can't complete it in one sitting. But reading a chapter would be considered a task. So what you're going to begin to do in understanding the difference between a task and a project is you're going to take your project, I've got to read this book, and you're going to break it down into tasks. Task number one, read chapter one on this date. Read chapter two on this date. Read chapter three on this date. The individual tasks end up leading to the completion of the project. But beginning to understand the difference between tasks and projects, along those lines, I would encourage you to think through details. 
Think through details. The difference between average and excellence is often found in the details. You may have to sit down and brainstorm if you're given a project to do, uh, thinking through the smaller tasks required to complete that. Write out those smaller steps needed to accomplish the bigger project. I would also encourage you, if you're pursuing and striving for excellence, do small things consistently well. Don't, don't just do the platform things consistently well, you know, the things that everybody sees, but do the things that people don't see. Do those things well, too. And don't just do the things well that your pastor asks you to do, although you should do those well, but do things well that a church member asks you to do. Or do things well that a, that a, a co-laborer asks you to do. Um, you might have a roommate that might ask you to do something. Or a dorm supervisor who could ask you the same thing. Or maybe uh, a college professor who could ask you to do the same thing. Or maybe Pastor Chapel comes and asks you to do the same thing. It really shouldn't matter who asks you to do it. If you've got a standard of excellence, you're going to do them all with excellence. Whether it's a roommate or whether it's the pastor. Uh, whether it's a co-laborer or a church member or the senior pastor that you're serving also known as your boss. <laughs> You're going to strive for excellence in all of those areas and in all of those relationships. Do small things consistently well. It might be a weekly report. Your pastor says, hey, I'd like this weekly report every Friday. Just time activate that. It's going to pop up at you every Friday, and you're going to do it every Friday, and he's never going to have to ask you again. It's going to get done. Um, he might have you lock up the church after services on Sunday night. Just do it with excellence. You're never going to miss a door. You're never going to forget and go home early because, you know, you had to get home and you were tired. But you're going to do it consistently. You're going to do it well. You're going to do it with excellence. I've mentioned this a couple of times, but respond with excellence to the questions received from your church members as well. A choir member might come up to me and say, hey, I heard this song. Could, uh, where could I find that song? I'm going to write that down and I'm going to send them an email on Monday morning. Because it's not just about doing things well that pastor wants. I want to do things excellent and I want to do things well for everybody. And, and maintaining that consistent standard of excellence. I would also say this with respect to excellence. Do something today to make tomorrow better. Do something today to make tomorrow better. What does that mean? Well, that means preparation. That means you're not in crises management mode all the time. You all know the college student, maybe you are the college student, who is only ever working on the project that's due tomorrow. And they just started on it, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's actually you know, giving more credit. Maybe they start on it like that morning and it's due by five. You know that guy. Again, maybe you are that guy. Don't raise your hands. We'll have an invitation at the end of the, the message here. But honestly, you know, what, what is that? That's... that's that's crisis management. You're only ever focusing on what is, what is coming down the pipe right now. But if I have this, this idea, if I have this ministry mindset that I'm going to do something today to make tomorrow better, I'm going to do something today to move multiple projects forward at the same time. Rather than just do this, just focus on what, what is now due immediately, what is now high importance, which was my fault, it wasn't, it wasn't the fault of the pastor. He came to me three months ago and asked me to work on this. But now it's my fault because I, 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 I waited too long. Rather than living that kind of a life, have systems in place where you're moving 
the tasks forward on multiple projects on any given day. You're doing something today to make tomorrow better. You're working right now on Easter as well as youth conference, as well as stewardship campaign, as well as leadership conference, as well as Sunday services, as well as my adult class, as well as that follow-up visit. You're doing something today on multiple projects, moving them all forward at the same time rather than just, I'm going to focus on this one thing because I didn't get to it as soon as I should have and now it's due tomorrow and so now if I don't get it done, I'm going to lose my job. You will appreciate spending time getting organized so that that doesn't become your life. And by the way, your family will appreciate that as well. Your spouse, your kids, they will appreciate that. Be efficient, not just busy. Be efficient, not just busy. Map out your week. Map out your day. Set deadlines. Keep yourself organized. Put the big rocks in first. All of that will help you with efficiency and not just being the guy who's running around busy, but really not getting anything done. Really, um, you know, my, my wife and uh, our three boys deserve a husband and a dad who's efficient. And, I, and I, want, I want to be efficient for them because honestly, when I go home, I want to spend the evenings with them. And when I have a day off, it's a day off. I want to go home and I want to be with my boys and I want to play catch with them and I want to spend time with my wife and I want to do things around the house that need to be done. And to be quite, to be quite honest with you, I've, I've tried to establish things in my life to keep myself organized so that I can enjoy evenings at home and so that I can enjoy a day off. Being in the ministry doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your family because really they're my first ministry. And, and most pastors will appreciate you being organized and efficient so that you don't sacrifice your family. And I've, I've appreciated Pastor Chapel's emphasis on, on the family and emphasis on that here at Lancaster Baptist and for those who serve on staff here. So you want to get into alignment. You want to be in alignment. You want to understand the pastor's philosophy. You want to ask him questions. You want to observe his life. You want to see how he would do things. You want to ask the question, how would pastor want this done? I want to be in alignment. And then I want to, I want to strive for excellence. I want to serve with excellence. Everything that, I want to, everything that I do, I want to do it well. I want to think through the details. I want, to be, I want to be efficient and not just busy. And then finally, number three, the third skill set of an effective assistant pastor or, or staff member is the discipline to be organized. The discipline to organize. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The hand of the diligent. I want to be diligent. I feel that as, as you are faithful to be in alignment and to be uh, striving for excellence and to be organized, you're going to have opportunities. Opportunities are going to come. People are going to see, hey, you're the guy that I know that I can go to. You're the lady I know I can go to. If I need something done, it's going to get done. And you're going to find that as you get things done, you're going to be asked to do more things. <laughs> so that can be a good thing or maybe that could be a bad thing. But if you're organized, it can be a good thing. If you'll set up some systems in your life that will help you to organize all that needs to be done, you can actually get more done than you realized you could get done. And you can go home at the end of the day and enjoy the evening with your family. But you've got to be organized. If you want to be an asset and not a liability in ministry, and to your pastor, and to your church family, learn the disciplines of getting things done. A couple of thoughts here with, with respect to organization. First of all, I would say this. Capture everything. 
as you begin this process of getting organized, and by the way, I would encourage you to do this even now. I know you're right in the middle of a semester, but put these practices into place now. The amount of time that you invest in getting organized, you will save multiple times over by not living in crises management mode. So if you'll spend time even now, right in the middle of a semester, getting organized for the next two and a half months or so, the next two and a half months will be much more efficient and much easier for you and much more manageable for you. But it starts with capturing everything. In other words, you sit down and you think through what, it, what is everything that I have to do? Um, as a Bible college student, you've got projects, you've got books that need to be read, you've got requirements for your job. You've got requirements for your ministry on the weekend, and you may have uh, ministry obligations with respect to weekend ministries or bus routes and so forth, and you've got things that need to be done for that. Then you've got your own personal life. You've got your own personal goals. You've got relationships, all the rest of that. Sit down and think through what is everything that I have to do. I would encourage you with three specific areas. Two of them we talked about. Number one would be projects. Think through your projects. Your project is uh, it's larger than a task. It's, it's a big rock. Think through your projects. Then, secondly, think through your tasks. What are the tasks required to complete the projects? Every project should have multiple tasks listed under it. It wouldn't be a project if, if, if it didn't have multiple tasks. If it doesn't have multiple tasks, then it's not a project. It's a task. And so list out your projects. Then list your tasks, the steps needed, required to complete that project. And then next to every one of your tasks, thirdly, put a due date. Put a due date. If you don't put a due date, you're not going to hold your feet to that fire. You're not, you're not going to get those things done. It's just going to be wishful thinking. So there's really three components to capturing everything. Your projects, your tasks, and the due dates next to your tasks. Capture everything. Get alone for a couple of hours. Get your syllabi out and start working through what are my projects, what are the tasks needed to accomplish that, and then what are the due dates by each of those. If it's not properly captured, it ends up floating around in your mind. And you actually end up sacrificing your productivity and your creativity. Because rather than being free to focus on what you actually have to do that day, you're just trying to remember everything that has to be done this semester, and it just sort of floats around in your head. So if you write it down, you're capturing it. You're not going to forget it. You're not going to lose it. So the first step to getting organized is capturing everything. The second step to getting organized is, is to have workable systems. You have to get some systems into your life that work for you and that allow you to take everything that you've just captured and now to implement it into your life so that you don't forget the things that need to be done. Everyone's mind works a little bit differently with respect to processing information, but let me give you the, really the, the three systems that I use to stay organized. And, and by the way, I would, I would give you this tip with respect to systems. Limit your systems. If you have 12 systems for staying organized, then you're going to need an organizational system to keep your systems organized. <laughs> so limit the number of systems that you have. Three that I use. First of all is a calendar. Just an iCal, a Google Cal, something like that. You don't put tasks on your calendar. You can put projects on your, on your calendar just, just to, keep, to keep track of when they're actually due, but you'll clutter your calendar very quickly if you start putting individual tasks. So I use a calendar for meetings and for appointments and for due dates. Meetings, appointments, due dates. That's what goes on the calendar. 
The second system is a project management system or, a, or a, an electronic software system. Uh, I use a system called Things, and uh, this allows me, really, it, it, everything that I just talked about with projects, tasks, and due dates, this is the system that I use to take everything that I've put on paper and I put it into this electronic system. There are systems like Wonderlist, OmniFocus, there's one called Remember the Milk, <laughs> but they're all essentially the same. There are dozens of them out there. You can go to an app store and probably get one for free or, or for a couple of dollars. But it's a system where you put your project in, then you attach pr uh, tasks to that project, and then you atta attach due dates to your tasks. So what I do on every day of my life when I come into the office, the very first thing I do is I open up my calendar, I look at my appointments and meetings, and then I open up things. And so a moment ago, a couple minutes ago, I talked about how you can work on multiple projects on any given day and you can move those forward. That's what I'm striving to do on any given day with the help of this system called Things. I've actually got a screenshot. If the guys in the back would throw that up, I don't know how small it's going to be. Uh, really small. Okay, so you can't even read it. But this is what Things look like, looks like. Let me explain to you real quickly. On the, in the left column, going down that column, those are all my projects. Those are the big rocks. It's a leadership conference, it's a stewardship conference, it's a, it's a revival campaign, it's, it's the New Journeys couples class, whatever the projects are that I have. Then underneath those projects, I can list individual tasks and I can put due dates by those tasks. What you're looking at here is what I would look at on a given day. Each of those paragraphs or each of those sections are specific tasks related to individual projects. But those are just the tasks that are due today. They're not tasks that are due tomorrow. They're not tasks that I don't have to worry about until next week. So I'm not cluttering my to-do list on any given day with, uh, with, with doing something that will help me accomplish a project next week. That will pop up at me next week because I've put dates by those tasks and those dates are for next week. So today, I focus on today. So I open up things and I start working through. Here are all these individual tasks. I can't quite read what the, what the headings are, but all of those headings are different projects uh, related to different areas of administration and oversight. And so what this helps me to do is this helps me to move multiple projects forward by taking care of individual tasks related to those multiple projects on any given day. So there are, like I said, there are many systems out there that you can use, but find one that works for you. Thirdly, the third system that I use. So I use a calendar, I use a project management system called Things, and then thirdly, I use an electronic folder system. Um, I use a, a program called OneNote. Um, a lot of people use Evernote. I actually like OneNote a little bit better. It's essentially the same, but it has uh, one, one more level of hierarchy and, and, and uh, filing that you can do. And I think the guys have a picture of that too. You won't be able to read much of it, but you'll kind of get an idea of what it looks like. On the far left, there are notebooks. The second column would, um, would be some individual notes, and then that third column would be pages within the notes. And so this is where a lot of the meat goes. I don't put a lot of the meat into things. Things is the projects and the tasks. But I might have a task in things related to a project, and that project has a lot of details related to it. Well, I don't put all those details into things. I put all those details into OneNote. And so things tells me that I need to work on all the details related to the upcoming stewardship kickoff breakfast. 
So now I go to OneNote and I open up my notebook and I go to my appropriate file that has all those details related to the stewardship kickoff breakfast and I begin working on the, that, that task or those details related to that task for that given day. So those are three systems. One's a calendar, one's project task management, and the other one is just a filing system, whether it be an Evernote or a OneNote or even just the filing folders on your, on your laptop or your computer. And that's where I keep the meat of it. Now, the last thing I would say, and we're almost done here, the last thing I would say with respect to getting, getting things done and being organized is you need to execute your plan. You need to execute your plan. If you're going to be organized, you got to actually get it done. You, gotta, you have to execute that plan. You've taken time to capture everything. You've worked on a calendar. You've worked on a project management system. You've got some filing systems in place. Now you want to get it all done. Now you want to start working that plan. Well, that begins by getting organized now. And again, I mentioned this, but even, even in the middle of a semester, take some time and get organized for the remainder of this semester. You might have a summer ministry opportunity, and you're going to be serving on a church staff. You're going to be doing an internship, and you're going to start getting responsibilities, and you might even start getting some of those responsibilities now. Your, your, your summer ministry pastor might contact you and say, hey, I've got some plans for you this summer. I want you to do this, 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 and this. Okay, that's great. What are you going to do with it now? Because when you get some of these systems in place, you can actually start planning and start organizing even now. Secondly, I would say use your systems. If you're never going to open up your calendar, then don't even have a calendar. <laughs> you know, don't waste your time. Don't spend the time uh, if you're not going to use it. So start using those systems. Thirdly, I would say be tenacious. Some of that goes back to the point on excellence. Just really working at it, really staying after it. They say it takes 21 days to establish a new, a new habit whether that be a good habit or a bad habit. But you might have to even time activate to use your time activation system for three weeks or so just to kind of get yourself in that habit of using it. But be tenacious and go after it. An effective assistant pastor has the ability to really be like Luke to the Apostle Paul. To come alongside, to align himself with that pastor in the, in the philosophy of ministry at that local church in that city to align with that pastor, to, to strive for a high standard of excellence. It's not perfection. Excellence can actually become an idol. We don't want to pursue excellence for the sake of excellence, but we want to reflect the image of God, and he's an excellent God. And so we want to pursue excellence. And then we want that discipline to be organized, to get things done. I want to be the type of a staff member that is dependable, that is reliable, that when pastor comes to me and says, hey, I need this done, he knows it's going to get done. He knows it's going to get organized. He knows that he can come back when it's the due date and I'm going to have a plan or it's already going to be executed. And it's not going to be a frustration to him because now he's got to push back that date for that kickoff or push back that date for that launch because I didn't do what was necessary to get, to get ready for it. I mentioned at the beginning that this would be a little bit different. I don't think I really preached, uh, but I hope that some of the things that were mentioned today were practical and helpful. And uh, Dr. Getch wanted me to speak specifically on this topic uh, of administration and being an assistant pastor. And so I hope that some of these things were a help this morning. And uh, again, wh whether, whether you're planning to do this or whether you've got something else in mind or even, even if you feel the Lord's calling you into uh, it, to, to be a Christian businessman or a Christian businesswoman, I think there are some principles here with respect to organization and excellence and even alignment uh, that will help in those areas.
Skills of an assistant pastor. The ability to align. Getting in line with the pastor's vision. Having a standard of excellence. Always wanting to improve. Always wanting to do things well. And then the discipline to be organized and to get things done. 